Hello and welcome to this uh, election special, election desk coverage episode of TF. It's the free <laughs> it's the one. election one. That's right. We're talking about the election. Um, and if you, they sucked. If you could say uh, there has been any one winner of uh, the spate of uh, local and uh, by elections up and down the country, <laughs> Would it I be think, the conservative party. <laughs> no, I think it is. It's Lawrence Fox and Richard ah. Tice who have used this election to become better friends, and now they're opening a business together. The pioneers is real. They made it real. We laved it. Yeah. <laughs> what is it that you normally do before opening a business with someone? I forget. Uh, well, what they did is they <laughs> announced that they'll be opening a pub in central London serving, quote, only British food and requiring no masks, yeah. which will be the home of free speech and right wing comedy. Yes, that's right. Oh, yeah. Just fucking gravy. That's all you can have. A mug of gravy. <laughs> yeah, just hook yourself up to the gravy teat. Mm. No, they're, what they're going to do is they're going to have like a they're going to like a lot because it's a spite based pub and they're going to align with a spite-based brewery that mm. makes gravy-flavored IPAs. It's like oh, proper yeah. British a, IPA a for proper porter. Brits. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> served room temperature. <laughs> oh, no. yeah, I do feel like this is actually a useful sort of counterexample. This is what happens if real ale guys do coke. Like <laughs> normally they just fixate on real ale, but it's like if you f- if you can combine a cokehead with way too much money and mm. a real ale fanatic who's probably a crypto Nazi, yeah. this is what you get. You get you it's- get authentic British cuisine where uh, you can go and listen to the trigonometry guys give like their eighth <laughs> set of the week, and everybody just kind of stares at yeah. their feet awkwardly because they don't know if they're supposed to. You laugh can go or watch not. Trigger the Libs Rango yeah. perform. Um, there's uh, what's what's really funny about Britain is there is genuinely that organization that are quite big, the campaign for. Re- Real ale, mm-hmm. as though there's something particularly moral mm-hmm. about real ale, as though it's Gross, been replaced it by all this fake ale. It's awful. So, what is real ale? Is it just like British ale? You know what? Yeah, as else? opposed to like a more European style lager. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, it's gross. It, as that's hell. the room temperature stuff. Did this emerge in the last few years, or this has always been a plague? You know, lurking. It's been around for a while, I think. Yeah, the real ale, real ale guys have. There's like a harmless wing of them. Which is like sort of nerds with graying ponytails who like will talk to you at length about speed metal and you've got the political kill. wing, and then you've got the yeah. provisional military yeah. wing. Of the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, congrats to Lawrence Fox and Richard Tice for starting a business that will have just thousands of perfectly round red men taking pictures of like a watery curry, being like, "Sorry, official offenses, you know, I'm in it. Uh, uh, cultural appropriation uh, triggered." And it's just, it's the public- yeah, you just get a giant plate of bacon. Yeah. That you can just bury your I'm, face I'm, in. I'm excited to. So I'm excited to go to the inn at the sign of the cry laugh emoji. I, I'm now just hooked up on a, until real ale is served in every pub in the United Kingdom, a phone box will explode every 12 hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> if, you, if you didn't already catch it, uh, it is Riley, Nate, Milo, and Alice. And we are joined, very excited to be rejoined once again, collecting their, as, as a team, I believe, collecting their third time chit and fourth time chits as individuals it is uh it is adam guesa jr and jathan sadowski from this machine kills guys how you doing hello hello doing great you know happy to be here again this is really good yeah, welcome right. welcome to the trash feature plus lounge <laughs> yeah, yeah I- i'm still waiting on that membership card and all the perks that come mm. with it 
I, I mean, I know uh, things okay. take a while to ship down to Australia. We'll get you into the VIP lounge at the fucking Pie and yeah. Your card guy got yeah. blown up in a phone box. Yeah. It's right. very unfortunate. <laughs> no, look, once once your cards do come through, uh, you will have access to uh, the to a uh, free a glass of free champagne on entry. No longer prosecco for you guys, uh, and you get to go into the roped off VIP area where you, uh, Lawrence Fox and Richard Tice, can sit around a table glumly looking at a bottle of vodka with some sparklers on it. <laughs> Uh, and we get the AstraZeneca vaccine. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you get to you get to feel uh, dead and nauseous for forty eight hours. Cool. Yeah, the elite tier members get the Russia vaccine. I'll be course. doing right. a, yeah. an AstraZeneca power hour where I take one shot of AstraZeneca for sixty minutes <laughs> every minute. For Hell 60 yeah. minutes. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Amazon's annual report and shareholders letter um, in a little while. But first, we have some election results to review because oh. Labor ate shit, shit, shit. Uh, I hate it when that happens. Yeah, it ruled. Uh, we have to talk about the party that we don't want to talk yeah, about. Well, we have to because, again, it's very satisfying to uh, be proven right. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah, we told you so. We warned you. Yep. Everything that we told you was going to happen happened. You got owned, and also you are now probably going to get divorced. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we were owned before, but now they are owned. Yes. Oh, how the tables have turned! <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, right. So, uh, basically, what happened? As a reminder, is a bunch of local council elections took place up and down England. We had elections in Scotland and Wales as well. And we had a by-election for the MP representing Hartlepool, which was going to be considered a huge test of Starmer's ability to reclaim the like red wall seats that fell to the Tories. Now, we all know all of the demographic reasons why that was basically been happening for the last 30 or 40 years. Yeah. But it's very funny to basically say, like, look, our election campaign that's been decided by the just crack savvy personnel, such as like Jenny Chapman and Ben Nunn, is going to be uh, Keir Starmer is going to go get photographed holding flat pints in front of uh, British flags while the Tories initiate to a plan. The provisional campaign for <laughs> yeah, real that's right. While the Tories <laughs> initiate a plan of like plugging in the money hose and just turning it on seats that might vote for them. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, it's fucking... I mean, uh, yeah, like, it, it's just... I don't know. I think that there's, there's like, there's two things going on here, which are, like, the reason why Labour are losing in seats like this is ultimately, like, a product of forces that have been going on for so long. Like, you can't blame it all on Starmer in the same way that you couldn't blame it all on Corbyn when Corbyn was losing seats. However, their complete failure to acknowledge what any of these reasons might be <laughs> and, like, attempt to address any of them and be like no now that the adults are in charge we're just gonna show up and say tony blair shit and everyone's gonna vote for us again it's like no you idiot one thing that i point out too though is that like there are places where uh you have what you might call corbin style policies that these councils have held on or mm. gained uh labor seats similarly you have obvious demographic trends at work in like southern england where councils that have never had labor councillors are electing labor because people are being forced out of london because of prices and so it's like it's weird to me how there's this dual sort of there we call it triple even unwillingness to acknowledge what's happening unwillingness to acknowledge what's happening in like these ex-industrial northern towns where the only way young people can get jobs that don't suck is to leave uh unwillingness to acknowledge that like actually labor is growing in some places where it wasn't before because of demographics or un and also unwillingness to acknowledge that like in places like preston or greater manchester or in wales where like they've actually campaigned on we'll do stuff to improve your life here's what we do and here's how we can improve it like they've done well 
Uh, instead, it, it always comes back to, no, you have to stick your dick in the flag and wear a flag cap <laughs> and hold a pint in front of Listen, people mate. and say, like, we'll, we're, we're going to destroy the hard left, you know, sing God Save the Queen. And, like, they think that's going to work. And even the people in Hartlepool are just like, what the fuck are you talking about? The only way to win elections is by getting the people who voted for you in the 1970s to vote for you again. Huh. No, new, <laughs> new voters don't count. Their yeah. votes are thrown out. They yeah. don't count. We don't want them. Uh, no. The only votes that count are people that used to vote for you in the 1970s and now are died in the wall conservatives. Those are the, uh, those are the only constituency that matters. New labor does not mean new voters. No, that's right. It doesn't. No. Um, I think it's, it's worth pointing out, right, before I go into sort of uh, Toynbee and stuff, that, yeah, uh, Nate, as you point out, Labour did not eat shit in Preston or in Salford, where their local councils have a history of delivering things, uh, uh, that are delivering things, you might say, that are at least a little bit more bottom up than how the Tories are doing right now in places like the Tees Valley, where they won mm. like a Turkmenistan percentage of the vote. Yeah, or yeah. <laughs> Wales, for that matter, yeah. where Mark Drakeford, who had been like endorsed by Corbyn, uh, increased his majority by like 10,000 votes. Uh, but I, I want to talk about the, the, the comparison, I think, is between Tees Valley and Preston, which are both like different ways to ameliorate austerity, right? Now that we're going to have a, a gold statue of Ben Houchin that turns to face the sun in Tees Valley, uh, but part of the reason why is that he's very Westminster connected, and he's hooked up the money hose to Tees Valley, and what he does is he gives out these indulgences, like sort of free bus travel or whatever, which is great, which you should have, but it's basic. It's not given as something like a right. It's not something that was that was created sort of uh, created democratically, you might say, like in Preston. And what worries me about that is that if you beat people down with austerity for 10 years and then you can basically give back 5% of what you've taken away from them, those cuts, and you can give it back not as something that they fought for and built for themselves, but as a privilege or a boon that you grant as their feudal lord, and then you can take it away just as easily. Whereas, where, whereas in councils that work on like the Preston model, which is where there is a lot of like local co-op ownership, where we worry about the ownership of things and the services that they provide, it's much harder for a government to be like, no, you don't get that anymore. You don't, you don't get the privilege that we give you. So it is both. It is what's what we're what's happening is there appears to be a bottom up and a top down version of moving beyond austerity, and it seems like labor wants to. Like labor counts, good labor councils understand that, like Salford and Preston, whereas um, even Greater Manchester with uh, under Andy Burnham. But that's 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 not suck him off too much. Uh, but it seems like the National Party, the the, the Parliamentary Labor Party, uh, the the UK wide one, is basically constituted to never understand that because the problem is always like that Ash Sarkar is tweeting or that like. Uh, 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 there are there are some momentum members who forgot to cancel their memberships or whatever. Yeah, once again, the hard left. We have basic and and all this nest of vipers. Instead of seeing what's happening, both in terms of like political reactions to moving beyond austerity or just demographic changes that are giving them Tunbridge Wells, which is unthinkable. <laughs> um, they are just basically seeing because they are a nest of rats and vipers. They all just know how to backstab one another. And so that's why there are like rumors of affairs leaking and <laughs> like Angela Rayner being fired and then it being briefed that actually she's not being fired. She's being promoted and getting rid of Lisa Nance 
Mandy for disloyalty. Well, Keir Starmer says he's going to change the thing that needs changing, and that's the change In he's going to make. In Keir Starmer's Labour Party, being fired kind of is a promotion. Yeah, that's right. Like, you're going to end up with a better job than the one you've got. <laughs> Almost certainly. <laughs> yeah, I was saying this to Nate the other day. It's like, what's really funny about the people who can't move beyond, like, Blairism and the politics of Blairism is that they refuse to do any of the shit that Blair did that worked. Like, they refuse to have, like, an Alistair Campbell guy yelling at everyone and making sure they don't do stupid shit. Like, they have none of the, like... The thing about Blair was they were a bunch of people who were evil and smart, and they did things in an evil and smart way, and that's why they won. And these guys are just like, no, we're going to be, like, evil and stupid. You, well, uh, <laughs> you say that, but Mandelson, Mandelson's back, and uh, he... Yeah, it's very battery baby. He, what he did is... Haven't we missed him? Mm. Haven't we missed Lord Mandelson at a time when we could have been exploiting Tory sleaze? Mm. We got Peter Mandelson yeah, back. Like the guy who's fo- who not only is photographed with Epstein, but literally called Epstein in jail to try to get him to give him a personal favor. Uh, I got <laughs> dead serious. Yes, yes. Hey, I'm while, trying to while test Epstein the tensile in- strength of this hyoid bone. Can you check this out, please? <laughs> <laughs> but I'll put this out, too, that, that yesterday Mandelson was going on the radio and TV saying that it was, he was like, well, our failure comes down to two C's, COVID and Corbyn. It's like Corbyn hasn't been the leader for 13 months. Like, the fuck are you talking about? But once again, like, it's just... Mm. I think another thing to bear in mind is that much like being, I mean, at this point, Blair might as well be a billion, might as well be a billionaire. But like when you have this much money and dumb people surrounding you, you have no real relationship with reality. So this is the kind of stuff you say that, you know, you get people like between Polly Toynbee or. All of these guys are so memorable is the thing, which is what you yeah, want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you, did you see the other thing that Peter Mandelson said, which is that he blamed it on electing Ed Miliband instead of David? Yeah, that's right. He said people were coming up to him saying, you picked the wrong brother in 2010. Yeah. To be honest, I was saying that uh, to him. I was the one who walked up to him and said that. Yeah, mm. I really want David yeah. Miliband back so we can waterboard everybody. I really so need the extraordinary everybody. rendition mm. guy who works for Facebook. Yeah. He's the one who's going to fix my fucking bin collections yeah. and Peter Mandelson cool. spoke to like five-year-old Riley in the shorts. Remember when bin men could waterboard? Yeah. Speaking of, <laughs> remember when the bin men were in the CIA? It was it was better then. <laughs> so they collected your beans, they pour a load of water on your face. It was good then. So just uh, as part of this um, sort of examination of what you might call the. Uh, tragedy of Blairism and the farce of Starmerism, um, we actually will, in this week's bonus episode, be reading uh, The Dignity of Labor by John Crudus, which is like blurred by Starmer as like his offering to working people to understand like the just sheer emptiness and nostalgia at the because it is an aesthetic project, right? All of the like, like you said, like the Blair people, like some of them, at least maybe not Mandelson, but like Campbell were like competent at doing at doing things just the things they were doing were bad but in this case we have only the image and feel of professionalism as interpreted by lobby journalists who are like pond life essentially so um here a few more things here uh i, I welcome blairism but i would call on it to go further and fire all of the competent people <laughs> so uh, <laughs> in 2019 uh and people who worked in the nhs only six percent of them supported uh, uh, the Tories. Mm. I would like to ask Ed and Jason, what do you think that number is now? Uh, I, I'm going to guess it, 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 it's only had to have gone up. 
right? Be- yes, that's correct. Let's say 20. Uh, I'm afraid that's not quite it, Jathan. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Well, you're not giving me a hint if it's higher or lower. So I'm, I'm going yeah. to be, cons- I'm going to mm. be conservative here and, and say 15%. 42%. Oh, oh my god. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? This is this is after the this is after the conservatives the conservatives say that we're not going to we're going to give the NHS workers after the covid pandemic a pay rise equivalent to less than the rate of inflation something like what like 1.9% I think they said amount, they were going to give them mm. like an an, an, mm-hmm. like an insulting amount and the nurses union had said they wanted a 15% raise. Starmer had an opportunity to say that he would at least do something close. And instead he's like, no, I think we would offer a 2.5% and oh try to negotiate higher. <laughs> is is it because serious, the Tories man, I wish like I was exaggerating. their pots and pans louder than labor? Is that why? <laughs> yeah. The, to- the, Tor- the Tories were behind that boat doing donuts in the Thames, which as we all know was the turning point. Uh, and, and also Keir Starmer was uh, phoning in from the Australian Autoerotic Asphyxiation Clinic, um, which I think uh, hurt his chances a little bit. That's right. Uh, so... Um, I th- I want, there's last thing to note is uh, Polly Toynbee has said, if, and this is like she's, the, she's a journalist, not a labor insider, but uh, we, one of these. Uh, she's very annoying, yeah. though. One, yeah, we'll one, give her that. One, she's, she's, one of she's, these. Um, she's a complete idiot, yeah. and she was. You, you have to remember with Polly Toynbee that number one, I believe her dad was like a pretty significant leftist or Marxist intellectual in no the way. UK, uh, and. Mm. And she's she obviously is, is sort of a failed daughter on a sinecure. But uh, she, if you really want true derangement, you should go back and read some of her columns during the 2015 leadership election for when Jeremy mm. Corbyn won, because it was it, like genuinely she tried to gain to, to, to tell people that actually the true enthusiasm was for Yvette Cooper. I think is who she supported. And then finally, when she, <laughs> she melted down, she's like, look, I get it. I went through I went through a leftist phase in university, too. But you have to understand that it's not electable. The only person who's electable is the person who uh, tells you that all you can expect is just boiled beans for the rest the of your life. Like, literally, it's just like the most Cooper. Yeah, that's what right. What is the least electable people? It's Yvette. such a yeah. good it's such a good grift to be a red diaper baby and then like parlay that into a conservative celebrity. Uh, I mean, mm. like, like, like it so, worked for like Kamala Harris, right? Like her father is a Marxist. Mm. Like, if any of us have children at all, yeah. we we really have to be careful. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, P- Pete Buttigieg's dad is like a, a, a pretty renowned translator of Gramsci. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, Ralph Miliband. Yeah, the Miliband. Ha- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically, <laughs> if if you are a Marxist academic, never. Ever have children? You actually yeah. have to kill your kid. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. like the final test. <laughs> you got to do reverse psychology on kids. I'm raising my kids Nazi to make yeah. sure they turn yeah. out Marxist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, then they'll be an even better Marxist that's right. than you. Uh, yeah. A few, a few more things. Uh, number one, the total. Before I go into Toynbee, the headline numbers: Labor has lost control of eight councils and 310 councillors. Uh, including oh. Luke the Nuke Akehurst. He is now no longer oh. a Labour councillor. Oh, what a shame. Friend, friend of the yeah. show. He lost to a guy called Dick Wolf, which is also very <laughs> exciting. Wait, the producer oh, the of Law and Order? Executive producer and green councillor Dick yeah. Wolf. Dick Wolf took down the nuke mm. last night. <laughs> Never underestimate the Dick Wolf. <laughs> the people of Oxfordshire are just huge fans of SVU, and they looked at Luke Akers and they're like, "I don't like the look of this guy." Yeah. I'm very, I'm very excited to uh, welcome Six Mike of Trash Future, Luke Akers. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> um, Ice T is going to show up at your council yeah. meetings if you live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I especially hate us. 
The kids are calling these things cycle lanes. <laughs> <laughs> are you saying that the bin collection is late? Uh, so let's. Uh, that, that's your iced tea. Uh, I can't do voices. Uh, <laughs> Riley was doing a Long Island iced tea. But I, yeah. I, so, I, I, uh, I really appreciate that you still try, Riley. <laughs> that you won't let yeah, people get course. you down. <laughs> I will never let that's people right. get me to stop doing voices. Um, now I know what Milo feels like. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is Polly. I feel like it every day. Actually, I do. <laughs> writing in the Guardian, when politicians lose elections, they must blame mm. themselves, but never the voter. Uh, mm. She does not follow her own advice a few, a few <laughs> sentences later. <laughs> Failure sends them into mea culpas of listening to seek out the fault within their party. Again, when we know what he, because this is all about the projection of the image of competence, projection of the image of political seriousness and so on. We know what they really mean by listening means just getting more conservative, because when you are purely retail politics, purely politics as market research and matching what we offer to what people want, you just become more conservative because that's what's yeah. being campaigned for more effectively. Although Although, like, Keir has gone a bit further, right? Instead of just doing active listening, he's done active listening following, uh, followed by purging the entire soft left. Which <laughs> so is funny. so fucking just, funny to uh, me. Only, he's listening. They only know how to backstab. It's very fun. Not, not a single constructive person. how bad I want it. Yeah, and, and just like... Fucking uh, knifing Angela Rayner and then denying that he had done mm. that and then briefing that she was mad because he had promoted her, uh, but not to a thing we can say what it was. So she says, uh, the, the rest of us are under no such constraint to pretend the voter can't be wrong or irresponsible, gullible or bribed without checking the basic facts at the click, able to click as the mouse. Voters have no excuse with Keir Starmer and his front bench, a thoroughly electable, decent and honest alternative compared with the race gallery. Lost. Honest. They just fucking She's, lost. You can't, you, you Milo. can't say they're electable when they just lost. That's the, the, Milo. Other, that's the one thing they're not. <laughs> Milo. She's electable if you fucking uh, vote for her. Uh, that's right. Devin, awesome. Devin somewhere is tearing their shirt right now. What do, what do you think? What do you think? Like, electable has is basically just makes me feel good about myself as yeah, a columnist. Right. Yeah. Someone I would have a dinner party with. Yeah. That's basically what all these columnists awesome. mean. And, and, and the veil, it yeah. is unpierced by events. No, it doesn't change. It never, it never changes. Like, some people are electable and some people are unelectable, and that's completely untethered from elections. Yeah. Much like the line is untethered from the economy. Yep. Similarly, electability, nothing to do with elections. Well, it, it, For a while, electability here, they were more explicit about the, like, would you grab a drink with them? And then they just realized, that's a little weird. We don't want to keep hammering that home. So we'll just say electable. It's the same exact thing. You mm. know, Would you let your kid be watched by this politician? <laughs> okay, then you should uh, go out and vote for Would them. you go out for a bovril with Keir Starmer? Would you go down to Pie Nonce for a bovril and an eel pie with Keir Starmer? I would. He's electable. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a nice, uh, uh, get a nice uh, gravy ale. Yeah. Oh, I bumped into Keith Starmer. We were watching Constantine Kissing do a set about pronouns. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I just saw, I just saw a, a news update. I don't know if you guys were familiar with this, but Bristol, incredibly labor-centric city. Basically, it wasn't that way before, but at with the advent of Corbyn, uh, a lot of activists got involved. And yeah, labor, it, it took over every council in the city. They were doing very well. Well, they basically swung hard to de uh, either deselecting or um, suspending or literally just muting the mic of people in councils to stop them from speaking out against, for example, uh, the suspension of Corbyn or like in favor of any kind of socialist policy. Their labor MP is a huge landlord. 
landlord and like loves being fucking like pro landlords like she spoke against the um the uh eviction ban stuff like that they just had a 40 percent swing to the greens and like a bunch of labor counselors lost their positions in in bristol because like once again when you're like well where the fuck are you idiots gonna go who are you gonna vote for it's like there are actually options especially in local elections it's really and embarrassing it's like, to lose to the greens just like a white guy with dreadlocks who's like if you put the wrong thing in your recycling you should get a ten thousand pound fine <laughs> yeah, well, that's respect it's like, for the bin man. That's right. That is respect for the bin man. Remember when yeah. the green men were in front? Of the, oh, fuck, the bin men were environmentally friendly. Yeah, yeah. The green men. The little the green men. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're actually. I was going to say there could there could be a Tory Green coalition where mm. they increase military spending, but it's to provide predator escorts for the bin men. That would win 110 yeah. percent of the vote in Britain. Absolutely, drone escorted bin man. There's only two green men we respect in this country: the ones who take <laughs> out the trash in the Middle East, and the ones who take out the trash on your street. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Exactly. Um, oh, you, you wonder. You, you, I would say, living in Australia, you've actually vicariously absorbed a certain bit of the British mentality because that is 100 percent it. So, I mean, one thing I think bears bears mentioning after this as well, like aside from just the massive mishandling of of the whole sort of whole sort of strategy by uh, Labour um, generally, is that there is an emerging trend here as well, which is like. The, I mean, the the places that are flipping from sort of Tory to Labour, Worthing, Tunbridge Wells. I mean, Tunbridge Wells is the big one, right? Private Eye used to have this running joke where they would have like letters from fictional Tories that would be written that were always addressed, yeah. disgusted, Out disgusted of Tunbridge Wells. Like this was the Mary mm-hmm. Whitehouse homeland. And the fact that it's gone labor is actually seismic. And I think no one's quite appreciating that that much. That's driven by demographics. But those demographics are like, I, I hate to say it, like that is those are sort of educated, relatively more middle class, probably property owning now demographics. So like labor, if it wants to still be the party of a working class, which again, I know it doesn't. But if there is to be some kind of like next opportunity for a takeover, that is something it's going to have to reckon with, right? Like these are relatively, this is these are relatively like well off, more middle class, more educated, possibly property owners uh, who are now voting for them. And it, you need to make the only way forward, presumably, is to allow those demographics to keep voting for you while making sure that you emphasize like the localism in the old sort of post-industrial working class towns of like well, Preston, mainly Salford, you know, sort of so close to Manchester, you know, who can say? But but that that kind there is going to need to be a coalition that is built between those two camps of voters. But then again, fuck the Labour Party. They're probably never going to go back to caring about that kind of thing. So uh, they can do one. Yeah, we're, we're all greens now, yeah. I guess. Yeah, why not? Oh, uh, no. That's it. Nope. Oh, Sorry, no. Milo. Sorry, no. Milo. Milo. Sorry, it's dreads Milo. for you. It's dreads for you. Put, 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 put on the Birkenstock sandals. Welcome to Crystal's oh, future. Fuck. This is your new, new podcast about healing yourself. I'd vote for the greens if uh, Ice Tea told me to. Getting the Ice Tea endorsement is really all that yeah. it would take to switch us yeah, to the green party. Green tea. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank right. you. Yeah. Uh, so let's, let's <laughs> Yo, fuck you. Let's move off. <laughs> Let's, <laughs> Let's move off British politics for a while. But if you do want more British politics oh, chat God. about the emerging promise or lack thereof of Starmerism, mm. that is the why. that is the bonus episode this week. I look forward um, to Milo so- trading in his uh, new convertible for a uh, new electric bicycle. 
Oh yeah. Mm. Oh man, there's nothing more cucked than an electric bicycle. No, you're just gonna get, get a regular <laughs> folding bike. bicycle. Just get a normal folding bike. bicycle. Oh, yeah, no, folding bikes are pretty cucked actually. Yeah. No, you're gonna you're just um, you're you're gonna get a recumbent bike that you're gonna come in onto the studio. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love getting destroyed by a truck five meters from my house. Yeah, I, I I regret to announce that Milo has been killed after his penny farthing careened into a DPD van. <laughs> um, it's a warrior's death. Yeah, uh, and also you're gonna you're gonna get rid of all your shoes. You're gonna wear a lot of hemp necklaces. Yeah, I'm gonna wear crystals. beans. Yeah, it's gonna be great. <laughs> gonna be a beans right. guy. Recumbent bicycles for when all you can do is lay down and take it. That's, That's right. right. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's talk about um, number. Some dreams are dying out there. Uh, another car, another another sort of car company or car adjacent company, uh, Lyft, the ride hailing service in the U.S. Um, has uh, sold off its self-driving division uh, with the quote, Lyft is set about the sale. Lyft is set up to win the transition to autonomous driving through a hybrid network of human drivers and AVs, advanced marketplace tech, and leading fleet management capabilities. So in so doing, we have uh, gotten rid of our full self-driving research division because we have realized that it is a massive white elephant and doesn't work. I mean... I, I love to win the transition more than anyone, but it <laughs> seems like all of these people are just kind of like, uh, like Lyft and even Tesla were like car companies, like, but, but the stalking horse was self-driving cars. That was going to be the main thing. That's what the valuation, as inflated as it was, was based on, was that they were going to invent the self-driving car. And now it seems like we've just gone sort of, this is now flipped over and all of these companies are going, ah, it turns out we can't make a self-driving car that doesn't immediately kill you by driving you into a DVD yeah, immediately van. Immediately runs over the recumbent bicycle guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and so now we're just gonna we're gonna quietly ditch that and we're gonna go back to whatever our our nominal uh sort of purpose was. I think that was like exactly also what Uber did. Uber, you know, burned like thirty almost thirty billion dollars of investor capital, sold off like its AV unit. Basically, it paid another company to take over its AV unit. Like, here, just take the shit off of our books after they spent like over $10 billion on autonomous vehicles. And for years, they're like, no, look, the reason why we can't make any money right now is because you have to pay the driver. We're going to get rid of the driver, obviously, in like 10 years. And now, fuck all, fuck all that. <laughs> you know, of yeah, course. It puts us in a really weird position as Marxist of, of a, being the only people even like remotely concerned with the profitability of these companies. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like they have completely abandoned all business fundamentals and i i again and again just feel like an old crotchety like business school professors and being like what what about the fundamentals <laughs> oh. <laughs> Jason warren buffett sedesky over here <laughs> um, yeah so the economy really does make me feel smarter every day because i'm just looking at stuff and i'm like well at least i'm not stupid enough to come up with that but the thing is they came <laughs> up with the, they came up with the story and the story made them billion yeah, it's incredible, isn't yeah. it? I also really loved that statement because it was like, uh, this automatic vehicle thing, it's going fine and there's nothing to see here. <laughs> However, we are canning it. <laughs> We're going to win the transition by uh, not a bunch of it. marketing doublespeak. And the thing is, right, I don't want to come across <laughs> as like, I would like it, driving for long periods of time sucks. It would be nice if there was some kind of an autonomous way to transport lots of people 
um, you know, in maybe one sort of direction or another where they wouldn't have to pay attention to the wheel. Some kind of some yeah. kind of uh, well, I imagine it would need quote of many different cars. Uh, you could just build like maybe a track or something for it. <laughs> be like a cage, yeah. you know, you chain the people yeah. down in there. It goes down a central route, yeah. you know. Maybe there are stops, yeah. along the way, something like this. Almost as though the whole full self driving, full the whole full self driving fantasy is basically just just like the sort of the autonomous free individual is like a fantasy as an economic actor, right? These there is no such thing as the free autonomous individual in like in a complex society of people. It just doesn't it there doesn't exist. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense to reason that way. All this uh, all, all this talk of trains Calm down there, Pete Buttigieg. All right. <laughs> That's right. Um, or buses. You know, we don't want buses. We want a perpetual ride. Yeah, but, th- right? but that's just mm. it, right? It's the, this idea that I am a free autonomous individual. I must therefore have a transport solution that is completely keyed to every every last thing I could possibly need. And we just and the the fact is that's just not possible in a real city full of real people and like Milo on a recumbent bike cutting in and out of traffic. Like it just doesn't work. And so like the the solution to this is easy and something we discovered in the like nineteenth century, which is like public transport, trains. Convertibles. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Everyone should have a convertible. <laughs> the what you're getting at as well, Riley, is really interesting because it, it, it's kind of a chicken and egg question because it's it like, you know, the, the argument against trains is like, oh, well, that will require us to build a bunch of infrastructure, right? Like a bunch of heavy rail and light rail and like stuff that doesn't exist, especially in the U.S. for, the, for a large part. Um, and so it's like, oh, autonomous vehicles, we can just use all of this road vehicle infrastructure that's already in place and get around that problem. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's it's not only that like cities are complex in a social way, but also a lot of the infrastructure is too bad for autonomous vehicles mm-hmm. to be able to like technically drive on. Like, you know, even even the fact that like a lot of uh you know the all the potholes and and um but all, even like the the lane divider lines need to be repainted mm-hmm. so that the cars can actually recognize that they're in a lane. And and so like they want to get around this infrastructural problem with AVs, but that would require rehauling all of the infrastructure in the US anyways. Mm. So fuck it. Recumbent bikes for all. Yeah, but I, I actually saw a map right. where they superimposed Texas onto uh, like Germany, and that proved to me that you just can't have trains in America. Yep, that's right. It's impossible because mm-hmm. they never built trains in America before. There's certainly there's nothing to do with the history no. of America where most of it was done actually by building huge railways. No. No, no, that no, never no. happened. Yeah, we just have no idea how to do well, this. You know what? It was all done with cars. It's like the Romans in concrete, you know? <laughs> Nobody knows how to do it anymore. It's, the, it's, it's, it's that... We're part, in the train dark Also, ages. partly, you know, we, uh, when, when it came time to build the trains, uh, America didn't care about the people it was violently expropriating. Mm. But now America does slightly... Uh, does slightly care about those people who it would theoretically have to violently expropriate or not non-violently probably because it would mostly be like guys getting eminent domained off of like a subsidized corn farm um, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you own a fuck yeah. off massive ranch or something in Texas and someone wants to buy 10% of it to build a railroad, they're probably going to pay you over the fucking odds inevitably oh, for yeah. it. Yeah. Like, yeah, but I think it, but it also the, the fact is, right, it comes down to the fact that that infrastructure was all built when America was like, 
we don't care about the people who currently live here. We're willing to, you know, basically kill them, imprison them, drive them out, etc. And mm. now a big overhaul of an infrastructure would require collective action and sacrifices being made by people who um, that uh, the America as a settler state is unwilling to ask to make sacrifices. Right. I think we have to convince people that we have to colonize rich people. If we can do that, then <laughs> we can get the old fucking engine going again. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Crawford, Crawford Ranch is going to be uh, turned into, just turned into a rail yard. Mm. <laughs> so, They're the enemy. I mean, I, They're the enemy. I, I, I and we just got to get rid of them. I also think that a pretty instructive example of this would be if you look at what's happened with California with high-speed rail, like it's because of the way, the, the the laborious way in which the consultations now have to be done and just the endless slew of lawsuits from the people who own the land when they try to build anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then obviously the funding problems and just the bloat and the usual fucking skimming and all the shit that happens with, you know, we're basically, we can't do stuff even with, um, like they, they can't do stuff via the public sector. So they have to just dump money into the private sector to build everything. You wind up with a situation where... Uh, the very first thing that Trump's Department of Transportation person did was cut the funding to the high speed rail thing because it's a right wing, you know, fucking how do you describe it? Like it's 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 a thing. It, it, right. Mm. Yeah. Right wingers lose their minds about California high speed rail, even if they don't live in California, the same way that people in like Leicestershire are convinced that London is stab city because like they hate mm. Sadiq Khan. Like it's absolutely a. This just like fixation on their part. And as I never thought I'd say this, but we need Randianism back. And the reason why (laughs) I'm excited to hear why is because is because there was a time when right wingers had an aesthetic attraction to trains. And now they're just like, no, fuck trains. No, we need to convince them that actually it's based to have As trains. I understand it, the the air corridor between San Francisco and Los Angeles is like one of the busiest, if not the busiest in the world. Mm. And obviously this would be a huge thing if they could get it done. But like it's, you know, as it stands right now, they're hoping it would be done by like 2040. And the initial mm-hmm. consultation started in 2008. Mm-hmm. And it's like, the Tories fucking suck, but they'll have built like like HS19 by the time that the first fucking train <laughs> goes from San Francisco to LA, if it ever happens. We'll build the train uh, after we destroy the ecosystem yeah. and mm-hmm. hopefully yeah. before the big one. Yeah. <laughs> That's our timeline. So, um, let's, let's talk a little more about FSD and then I want to go on to Amazon. Uh, the dream of FSD is also rapidly dying at mm. Tesla, where some uh, some basically they had, had some legal disclosures uh, from Tesla basically had to clarify that Elon's tweets, shock horror, mm. do not match the engineering reality uh, of Tesla. Of uh, uh, five levels of full self-driving, Tesla is currently stuck at level two, which is uh. where if you put a sack of potatoes in the front, in the front, you can um, burn to death trapped in a car as a bet. Yeah, then you get roast potatoes. Mm. Yeah, that's it's cool. Right. How else do you want to make roast potatoes? I, I can't think of a simpler. I can't, uh, I can't think of a cheaper way. But if I go to the store to buy potatoes and you want me to roast them, you want me to go to the store, put them in the car, drive home, take them out of the car, go into my house, and then put them laboriously one by yeah. one in the oven. But what I could do- I've made some process improvements. Is just, is just, is just be in the car and yeah, I'll be killed, but then my family will have delicious roast potatoes. That's right. No, um, <laughs> so effectively, right, uh, even though January, even though in January, Musk mm. said to investors, he was, quote, highly confident the car will be able to drive itself with reliability in excess of human this year. And by the way, if you were all to go all the way back to our episode about Tesla with Quantian, mm. uh, full self-driving has been a year away for the last five or so years at Tesla. Yeah, which means it's going to happen really soon. It's gonna, yeah, it must be. You can't yeah. be. Come on. It's been a year away for so long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably already happened. We just don't know about that's it. Right. You know? mm. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's so good. We've not even noticed. 
Yeah, uh, that's mm. that. Well, they have to put they have to project a human into the into the driver's seat. Yeah, your mom is actually no, you Tesla. You think you're driving the car? Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. My my car is actually like the Flintstone phone. Like none of it does anything. I'm yeah. just having fun. <laughs> uh, yeah. an- another dream as well died with uh, Elon went on SNL and called Dogecoin a hustle, and now it mm. seems that by naming it what it was always known to be, uh, he has destroyed it. Which is mm. uh, very funny to me. Oh, no. And I also, I remember reading yesterday that one wallet owns $22 billion worth of Dogecoin. And when I read that, I was like, oh, this is good. <laughs> this is not a bubble. This is actually like, this is the future. Mm-hmm. This is great. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but it's very funny to me, right? That everyone who was, and it's as happens with any of the cryptocurrency scams, every, or, or even some of the stuff like uh, the pump and dumps, like Nokia or whatever, is that everyone involved knows it's a pump and dump. And is very honest about that with one another. But as soon as it is like recognized as a hustle by by someone like Musk, because the whole point is it, it is this this projection of belief down by Musk onto a bunch of, you know, like fundamentally weak willed idiots um, who are just able to bask in that collective belief taken from him. We really do live in a fe- in an increasingly feudal world, don't we? <laughs> Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. But, but, but basically, they they are to Elon Musk what all of those uh, guys in the Middle Ages were to uh, like Genghis Khan when they believed he was like the second coming of the Messiah and he was mm. going to make Europe Christian again and defeat the Muslims. Yeah. Um, that's basically what they think Elon Musk is. But actually, it's just a guy on a horse who's going to kill them all. Yeah, that's why he's going to take us to Mars. Yeah, yeah. and that's we're right. going to somehow live there yeah. <laughs> with the, with the power of the joke coin. I fully, right. I fully believe that Elon Musk has it within his power to make sure that some people, possibly including him, die on Mars, and I'm willing to let him try it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, so I, I, the the thing about Dogecoin, I think that the the interesting thing about it to me, uh, and it's something we haven't talked about before, and I think probably won't talk about again. Mm. Um, but just the the simple fact that of th- the magic of it was that it's kind of a joke. It's known to be a scam, but if we all sort of collaborate together, we can make something hilarious happen, which mm. is a uh, joke cryptocurrency featuring a eight year old meme uh, suddenly becomes worth actual um, actual money. I think it has but a ninety just, billion dollar valuation. Yeah. It's it's well what mm. it is is it is the ideology machine kind of getting a paper jam and just printing out a bunch of weird streaky shit and that's mm. the weird thing mm. like it's perfect that this is the case with Dogecoin now because it was created as a parody of Bitcoin like self consciously created as a parody of Bitcoin and then it started taking off and the the founder of it was just like oh I I mean. Yeah, I created it as a parody, but it, it's actually really serious now. I, I actually believe in this. That's always a good sign of <laughs> something to build your economy on. I saw this chart also that I was saying there's more bit, uh, cryptocurrency circling than um, U.S. currency, right? Which is uh, makes me feel good. That's definitely mm. not a, another bubble or risk factor we should think about. Oh. Mm. It's fine. It's fine. What's the worst that can yeah, happen? It, it's not as though the price of Bitcoin is being held up by US dollar tethers, which are themselves basically being minted in a very sort of dodgy way. That is, it is, it's a stable coin that connects the US value of Bitcoin and the value of the US dollar. And there's this idea that each time a tether is minted, then a certain amount of, of, of other currency will be purchased to maintain that peg. Uh, but there are a, a lot. Let's just say there are a lot of um, a lot 
a lot of reporting has been done on Tether that essentially it's kind of the same thing. It is there is actually quite a bit more that's just sort of increasing its value and there's a feedback loop between the value of Tether and Bitcoin. So the fact is, right, um, all of these things that are... That's what I mean when I say the ideology machine got a paper jam in it. And now we are just sort of... It's like the, um, the, 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 the dancing plagues that would come over like towns in the Holy Roman Empire, right? It's just the... It is, it is stuck. We, we left the ideology machine on maximum, and now it's starting to rattle around. <laughs> oh, no, we have an <laughs> autonomous ideology machine. It's self-driving. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with the tether, it's like there's no evidence that they actually beg it one-to-one, but they just say, they're like, no, 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 it's one-to-one. Yeah, it's one to- Trust me, it's one-to-one. It's one-to-one. <laughs> Don't worry. And that's yeah. like a sig- yeah, significant driver for one of the major... Uh, you know, uh, speculative asset bubbles that we're gonna see pop. <laughs> yep. You know, and within the decade, it'll be good. I'm. I feel yeah. comfortable about this. At least yeah. there are no systemic risks. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> I mean, it's not like institutions are normalizing it or legitimizing <laughs> it or incorporating it into their balance sheets. That would be a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, gray grayscale? Who? Musk has essentially put a brick on the gas pedal of the ideology machine, dove out yeah. of the the, the driver's side car, and is convincing everybody it's self-driving into a wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Mm. Um, and uh, he's epic. And although yeah. uh, I'll, I'll say this, so long, if SNL brings back uh, the Californians or Celebrity Jeopardy. Then they can they can have fucking Prince Andrew on. I don't care. I will watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think uh, the next move for Elon needs to be to like either paint Dogecoin on the side of a rocket and then have it blow up, and that will really do it in, <laughs> or or or, uh, or just shoot it in a laser. Like just take a physical Bitcoin and shoot it into the fucking Mars. I don't know at his. At his future uh, resting spot where he'll crash. I think SNL should have Prince Andrew on. I think it'd be like a fun (laughs) sketch where he goes to loads of places where it'd be really useful to sweat, like a sauna, for example. He could do like, uh, he could do an Epstein bit. I think he could reference Mm. it and they'd be like, oh, that was... Was, yeah. yeah, they'd say it's a little far, <laughs> but like everyone like becomes a cult mm. favorite on on YouTube in five years. Yes. Yeah, it's blind yeah. date, but all the people lined up for Prince Andrew are like people he met through Epstein mm-hmm. oh, on Lord. the other side of a wall describing themselves. Um, but no, I, I honestly believe uh, SNL worth watching if the Californians or Celebrity Jeopardy is on. Two very funny running sketches. <laughs> um, that's the main that's the main takeaway from that segment. <laughs> Um, but no, I, I, so that's a little bit on sort of full self-driving and, uh, the ideology machine. Let's talk about a little more ideology, a little more, um, sort of consent manufacturing, uh, but it's happening from Amazon right in front of our eyes. Um, and now Jathan, uh, Ed, you and the two of you and I have sort of, we spoke about this a little bit beforehand, but with the new public, with the publication of of Amazon's annual shareholders letter that accompanies its annual report, it's a good opportunity to get an insight into something that is now becoming difficult to comprehend because of its size, right? If you try to think of the number of all the stars that are in the galaxy, that is not easy to do. It is hard to think about the things once they pass a certain threshold. And Amazon is very quickly coming to this threshold, especially as its growth has been accelerated about a decade's worth within the last year. Yeah. You know, go ahead. Ed, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say that I think, you know, it is also constantly important to like beat that drum. It's like, it's really impossible to comprehend how 
stupendous, I guess, Amazon's numbers are by the book and also which how big of a juggernaut they are, how stupendous the numbers are and how they're only going to get worse for us, but better for them mm. and their uh, and their investors. I know. Like- so, uh, stupid. Co- goddamn uh, uh, cotton. What does this spinning Jenny? This is all the spinning Jenny's fault. <laughs> I think this question of Amazon's bigness, like Ed said, it's really important to beat this drum because it is, it's like, it's, it's increasingly impossible to keep all of Amazon in your head at once. Uh, But it also, I've noticed in my own thinking, like, especially as, you know, looking at companies like Amazon, reading their annual reports, um, but also like Ed and I on, on uh, this machine kills have been doing like an occasional series of episodes looking at like asset managers, right? Like BlackRock and Vanguard um, and these like big index funds. And here we're looking at numbers that are like well into the trillions of dollars, right? And so I've noticed this with my own thinking that my own sense of scale has gone completely out of whack because I'm like now having to attune myself to thinking in terms of hundreds of billions of dollars and tens of trillions of dollars. And, and now it's like startups that are like, you know, in the, you know, hundreds of millions of dollar range. I'm like, all right, you'll get there one day. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you, what, who cares about unicorns anymore? Yeah. What the fuck is he? It's worth a billion. There's a dog walking app that's worth, worth that. Fuck off. Like we've had it's this. The, we want decacorns. We've had this level of inflation in the, uh, in the economy and particularly in the tech industry over the last just five years. That yeah means that like billion dollar companies, unicorns are fucking like a dime a dozen, right? Like you got to be thinking in terms of hundreds of billions of dollars, trillions of dollars. And there are ever, and it always, I think, again, this is a, a question of scale. It always felt like there was this explosion of tons and tons of tech companies. But what was actually happening was, as we've talked about before on this podcast, as you talked about in your podcast, the concentration of wealth and uh, the apparent the uh, the appearance of democracy uh, not democracy but the appearance of choice and competition and and innovation um well what was actually happening was the rapid and only in getting more rapid concentration of power and wealth in the and wealth which essentially is power the power to command human labor into this sort of smaller and smaller um uh, uh hands and what that also means right the in- explosion in size Means that it's that like the challenge to challenge these organizations is now becoming equally difficult, right? So, uh, so th- for example, right, with Amazon increasing the wages of only its, uh, I believe, U.S. and U.K. staff to a minimum wage of fifteen dollars or pounds an hour. What was the U.K. staff? Did, offhand, do you know if that increase was to fifteen pounds an hour or fifteen dollars an hour in pounds? Uh, but I, I, I don't know I, offhand, I know but increase. I would suspect yeah. it's probably a fifteen dollar equivalent. Uh, yeah, but what it was, yeah, right? Yeah, that 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 sounds about yeah. right. Yeah. So, but what what the thing to think about here, right, is that number one, the campaign to make Amazon pay a fair wage, uh, only actually translated to a fair wage in those two countries. In in places like Spain, which are huge hubs for them, that has not happened. Poland. Um, and number number two, like we talked about earlier with the Ben Houchin thing, right? Yes, the higher pay is good. Yes, these things are good to have in themselves. But when they are when they are a matter of patronage, they can always be taken away, right? This is an example of of uh, Midden's advent. This is the this is Jeff Bezos understanding that he must give out patronage to head off a problem. But this is not something that has been. 
the 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 this is the the minimum wage. And as he talks about in the letter, right, it is to head off union organizing. It is to head off uh, bottom up power. It is it is a a tactical scrap, right? And the fact that the fact of its size means that it is it is able to continue to hand out scraps to prevent things like that can actually challenge it because in growing and this is from its its letter to shareholders in growing it has um increased its size to 1.2 million people apl- employed full time and half a million further as delivery drivers employed by Amazon's Flex program which are contractors that are basically you are a full-time employee for Amazon but you are subcontracted through a local trucking company right mm-hmm. So it's 1.7 million people uh, who are effectively directly employed uh, by by Amazon, though half a half a million were sort of in a bit of a fiction. Like that is that is enormous, and the potential for labor organizing is huge uh, in that population. But Amazon must, as a priority, it must make sure that never happens. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, we we saw this in Bessemer, right? Like they pulled out all the stops. Uh, you know, in terms of busting that union because they can't let a precedent or you know a a, a good example be set in any way. I think the um the question of of employment and and Amazon's value creation, quote unquote, is really interesting in Jeff Bezos's letter as well. Like you know, we were joking about it. Uh, I, I think on Twitter, Riley, it's like you know the 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 capitalists are in the process of creating an anti labor theory of value right now, and that's like that's a right. big part of what Bezos's letter to share owners, which is a weird tick. He doesn't call them shareholders. It's the letter to share owners. Um, mm, an owner. <laughs> yeah, it's an owner economy. <laughs> uh, but like. He lays out all of these like really wild calculations, like the math of capital is on full effect in the letter um, in terms of talking about all of the value creation that Amazon has done in 2020. And part of that is right to this question of employees. He talks about how they paid uh, uh, $80 billion of wages to employees um, plus an additional $11 billion of benefits and various payroll taxes. And they reframe that as not not paying $91 billion to the employees, but rather this is value that Amazon created, not value that the uh, employees earned through wages and creation of surplus value, but rather the wages Amazon paid its employees was actually value created by Amazon. I think you could say if if tech is essentially capital, right? Because that's why this is much like the much like a factory's capital is its spinning jenny. Tech's capital is its process, its software, its logistics, whatever. There you are, you are essentially getting a capital theory of value, right? Which is, and this is I, I clock this as well, where I, I wrote this as sort of a, almost a weird version of commodity fetishism, but with a process instead of a commodity. Uh, so he says. Customers complete 28% of purchases on Amazon in three minutes or less, and half of all purchases are finished in less than 15 minutes. Compare that to the typical shopping trip to a store, driving, parking, searching store aisles, waiting in the queue, finding your car, or he is waiting in the line, finding your car and driving home. 
Research suggests that a typical physical store trip takes about an hour. If you assume that a typical Amazon purchase takes 15 minutes, then it saves you a a couple trips to the store a week. That's more than 75 hours a year saved. So if you could get a dollar figure, let's value time savings at $10 an hour, which is conservative. 75 hours multiplied by $10 an hour... Um, gives you value creation for each Prime member of about 630 pounds net dollars, rather, net of the cost of a Prime membership. We have 200 million Prime members so for a total in 2020 of $126 billion of value creation. This is a perfect example of a capital theory of value where all of this value is just sort of enjoyed by, pe- enjoyed by consumers as a surplus that comes from nowhere. And it's also interesting what value is left out of this letter too, right? Doesn't mention the six hundred seventy-nine billion dollar market capitalization increase, and doesn't mention that as wealth that share owners would have, right? Instead, focuses on the net income because it'd be a little, be a little too rude, I guess, to push the value creation number to over a trillion dollars, right? You know, people might get their pitchforks. So you have to say they only made twenty-one billion instead of the nearly seven hundred billion that they made by dominating markets during uh, the pandemic, and and dominating not just consumer markets but also labor markets as well. Right. And if you want to talk about what Marx talks about commodity fetishes and what we talk about is the sort of elision of all of the processes and and value that goes into the production of the commodity as the commodity itself. And what companies like Amazon and also Uber and DoorDash and all of these companies do is instead of having a commodity that is fetishized, it is a, an invisible process that's fetishized. When you feel like, oh, we're so lucky to be living in this high tech world where I can order Deliveroo or DoorDash at the touch of a button that what's actually happened is the technologies for managing, managing, um, sort of getting, controlling and disposing of human labor have become just so, so, so incredibly advanced. It's not that the food production and distribution technologies have become advanced. It is essentially that you are enjoying a way that capital has increased the surplus it can command from labor and then has tricked you into thinking that that is a very slick new process. Right. Right. That like Amazon has solved intractable logistical problems, not that Amazon has figured out, has solved one problem, which is like how to bring slavery back and then like gloss it over something else. Which is not a particularly difficult problem. Yes, also that too, right? (laughs) (laughs) They certainly weren't the first ones to do it, even within a corporate framework. You heard about these guys called the US government? (laughs) That's right. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, like Marx also talks about this distinction between absolute surplus value and relative surplus value, right? And so it's like, you know, relative surplus value is uh, you just you, you, you make the worker more efficient, right? So they produce more value in the same amount of uh, time spent working. Uh, and then the absolute surplus value is you just make them work longer hours, right? And Amazon's like, why not both? Right, like we've perfected the process <laughs> of maximal extraction of both absolute and relative surplus mm. value. Mm. Well, and then capitalists just see that as like, oh, well, it's because Amazon's like more efficient, magic. and, and they figure, mm. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is mm. almost as it is all, and and that's what we talk when we talk about fetishism is the sort of imputation of an almost religious or um, mystical quality to something. Right? It's it's easy to forget that in amongst all the coats, you know, Marx was a creature of his time. He was very interested in sort of this, in not in spiritual mm. in in, his, in in the idea of of the literature of spiritualism or of um, gothic horror and stuff. That's why he talks about capital as a vampire. Mm -hmm. And so like the idea of 
the idea that there is a kind of ideological magic spell that is cast over a commodity or in this case a process is is hardly a new one it's a has it's a proud marxist tradition in fact <laughs> yeah of um of saying that essentially some magic has happened here no that that's exactly um, right like it is it's all about uh, and, and this is the way that we relate to amazon as consumers right it's mm. it's all about uh alienating us from those processes right making us think that we get our you know next day or same day delivery from amazon because of some magic of innovation rather than some magic mm. of just grueling uh ex exploitation uh, i'm sure you get into this but right like bezos talks about this near the end of the letter as well where if i if i can if i can quote from the letter uh please please he says and Quote, and this value creation is not a zero-sum game. It is not just moving money from one pocket to another, drawing the box big around all of society, and you'll find that innovation is the root of all real value creation, and value created is best thought of as a metric for innovation. I mean, this is all about telling a story of how Amazon not only creates just like so much value for every for everything that it touches and you know which is which is everything in society um but it does so by being the most innovative inventive company in the world like bezos goes to great extent to call himself over and over i am an inventor at the end of the day i am nothing but an inventor yeah and, and it, it's the same kind of illusion of he's trying to make you think he's someone tinkering around in a garage um, on, you know, like trying to invent a, you know, a whiz bang or uh, new kinds of widgets or whatever. When, you know, in fact, it is, it is all about enclosure. I mean, we also look at, if you actually look in the report itself, um, Amazon's, like most of Amazon's growth from revenue, and I think we've said this before in the podcast, continues to come from Amazon Web Services, which is about the enclosure and privatization or increased enclosure and increased privatization by one company of the internet. Mm -hmm. Right. It's and also creation of services that are so then going to try to enclose physical life, right? Like cities or you know, public spaces or devices that people have, and trying to create these with you know technologies that just network them into more surveillance. Yeah, because importantly, Amazon Web Services is not only just the heavy capital, right? Like Amazon, it's as a corporation is very heavy in the sense that it actually does own a lot of. Uh, tangible assets like data servers and and all the warehouses, right? I think it actually leases most of it where of its warehouses, but it's it's heavy in that sense. But AWS is also uh, like Ed was getting at a huge software service. You know that's what like Amazon recognition, right? The facial recognition program was through AWS, right? Like so, increasingly it's both like enclosing the software and the hardware of of the industry and everything that it touches like ring yeah like ring ring sidewalk um all these things that are just invading and colonizing our personal lives or whether or not you give you know consent to it or not i was thinking about this too because it's interesting that you brought up the fact that you know in the grand scheme of things their uh retail isn't necessarily their biggest revenue generator uh, we when we did our our show in Birmingham in 2019, um, Hussein and myself, Riley, I think you were in the car too. We drove up from London to to Birmingham, and on the way there, we passed by an Amazon distribution center, and it was like it, it was a, a fantastically new building, and also just like enormous. Just just it, it felt like 
like like multiple Sam's clubs stacked on top of each other and then also laterally. Like it was just absolutely gigantic. And you think about that and you're like, wow, yeah, Amazon really is this retail powerhouse for sure. But then you start looking into it and you're like, yes, but then they also own Whole Foods and they also own, you know, they have they've bought Audible, they've bought Goodreads, they've bought um I'm trying to think of other things off the top of my head, like like not just content stuff, but like you were saying, you know, things like Ring or they're hosting all the websites that you use. I'm pretty sure even like something like Patreon and their web service is that they're hosting is AWS. Like basically there's no if you wanted to if you wanted to boycott everything that Amazon controls, like not just not just supports or sustains, but literally controls, like you'd have to basically live like Ted Kaczynski. I mean at this point it's just it's ubiquitous. It is like a true, in the true sense, like a monopoly. And the, and the way that like the United States was like a historically unique hegemon, Amazon is like a historically unique monopoly. I mean, they do fashion, they do music, they do video games, right? They do uh, clothing, they do like widgets, they do food, uh, they do the software, they do retail. I mean, there isn't an industry that is touched by them. They create content, they create shows, they produce them. I mean, it's like almost everything single arena of life they have a foot in the door or they're leveraging aws mm. profits to get a foot in the and the door. sad thing is for ted kaczynski that sooner or later you won't even be able to send mail bombs without involving amazon in no. the process <laughs> so, in yeah. fact, prime <laughs> delivery for you sir in, yeah. um, in it, prime citizens yeah. there is a bomb in your mail <laughs> so amazon amazon's report actually indicates who they think their competitors are because uh, annual reports for companies to shareholders have to give like these are required is, disclosures. Is it the Eldritch Gods? <laughs> well, it, more or less. Mm. The Eldritch Gods, the federal government, Unabombers, yeah. you, yeah. Gaia, mm. the spirit of the earth itself. So, uh, mm. number one, physical e-commerce and omni-channel retailers, publishers, vendors, distributors, manufacturers, and the producers of the products we sell and offer to consumers and businesses. Two, publishers, producers, and distributors of physical, digital, and interactive media of all types and all distribution channels. Oh, Three, web search engines, comparison shopping websites, social networks, web portals, and other online uh, and app-based means of discovering, using, or acquiring goods and services, either indirectly or in collaboration with other retailers. Four, <laughs> Companies that provide e- companies that provide e-commerce services, including website development and hosting, omni-channel sales, inventory, supply chain management, advertising, fulfillment, customer service, and payment processing. Five companies that provide fulfillment and logistic services from the third parties, whether offline or online. Six companies that provide information technology services or products, including on-premise or cloud-based infrastructure and other services. Seven companies that design, manufacture, market, or sell consumer electronics, telecommunications, or electronic devices. Eight companies that sell grocery products online or in physical <laughs> stores. Nine companies that provide advertising services whether in digital or other formats can i throw can i throw one out there just that i saw here in the uk even uh during the pandemic so we we live really close to uh, a big morrison's grocery store in peckham and we um i would typically before the pandemic you know I would go I would go go shopping there but then like if you want to get like heavy stuff I don't own a car so you schedule delivery and like there was just, like a minimum purchase or whatever. Well they ran out of delivery slots during the pandemic and uh, a lot of places did like gr- online grocery places in the UK did but they most of them sort of added to the workforce and added more slots that way. What what Morrison seems to have done from what I can tell is that the only way you can get Morrison's delivery slots aside from the small number that they 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 haven't changed is doing it through Amazon. So now when I go to the the big Morrison's in Peckham, I'll notice uh, 
like you'll just see all of the Amazon shoppers just start like hauling these what look like fucking dolly carts just full of people's different shopping because rather than add, maybe they couldn't add the capacity, but the way that they, they manage to get more customers is to just have Amazon take it over. And it's like, that's an example of Amazon, not like a big, you know, marquee sort of acquisition, like when they bought Whole Foods, but rather... Uh, you know, they have just basically they have supplanted those companies' own capacity for doing uh, delivery, for example. And like, I can only imagine that's gonna, you know, that, that if, if if I'm noticing that as one anecdote, I can only imagine that anywhere where Amazon has a presence, that's also the the, the case, and not just with groceries, with with any other yeah. service. Well, as I well. found really insane was when I found out that Google uses Amazon Web Services. Yeah. That to me was an absolute mindfuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that it, it's it, it is. I mean, yeah. even even now there are like uh, there are sort of recent company companies that have gone public like Snowflake, which just exist as a way to connect sort of disparate holdings across G Cloud, Azure, AWS, and so on mm. as like data piping between these behemoths. Is that a subsidiary right? and, and of trigonometry? Things- Snowflake. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So there are a few more things I want to say about Amazon, which I think are worth talking about. Right back to sort of scale, right. We talk about Amazon, Amazon as it faces consumers and Amazon as it faces laborers from an, an, an article written by Alex Press about, um, about sort of Amazon's effect on the... Even when you neither buy, buy from it directly nor sell your labor to it, it still deeply affects your town. Mm-hmm. And, and Bezos loves to talk about how by putting Amazon distribution centers in places or putting Amazon office in places, it raises the standard of living of the whole town. However, um, Press, in reviewing this book, uh, about, also about Amazon by Alec McGillis, uh, writes the following. The company had, in a sense, segmented its workforce into classes and spread them across the map. But also it means that Amazon effectively gets to segment whatever country it's in into classes geographically. That there were the engineering and software developer towns, there were data center towns, and there were warehouse towns. Uh, so Amazon chose the Columbus area as its location for Amazon Web Services U.S. East and then picked three towns north of the city for its centers, Hilliard, Dublin, and New Albany. And these are the right sort of exurban communities to target, wealthy enough to support good schools for employees' kids, but also sufficiently insecure in their civic infrastructure and identified to be easy marks. The warehouses were in areas poorer than those sites. So in towns like Obetz and Etna, we're close enough to these struggling towns of southern and eastern Ohio to be in the plausible reach of a long commute for those desperate enough to undertake it. So because of its size, it is able to it is able to essentially reproduce and re-entrench class like class divisions such as they are um, by sort of geographically locking in an area's prosperity. Might might it raise it a little bit? Bezos claims it does. But again, that it, when you have the top-down model, you reproduce more than you change. Right. Yeah, and I think that's a, those are good points because that's also something that doesn't get talked about too much, that reproduction that is necessary as per Amazon's logic, right? It needs to have those white-collar workplaces uh, so it can socialize its workers and their families and, and, and you know, ingratiate with, in some cases, regulators like they're doing in, you know, D.C. And Chris, with uh, their Crystal City, you know, uh, enclave, uh, or in other places where they just need to take advantage of, like, the inability of a place to regulate them, right, or to challenge them. Um, but in other places, right, reproducing this and then coming in and undermining unionized labor and then becoming a monopsy you know the only you know only employer in town the only buyer of labor in town and then 
basically saying, oh, we have this $15 minimum wage, aren't we better than every other retail? It's like, yeah, sure, but you destroyed everything else, right? Or you you undermined everything else yeah. by moving. Yeah, and, and to that and we, point as well, I mean, even the, the claim that like they raised the standard of living by moving into a place is empirically false. Like there, there have been studies that show when Amazon opens up a warehouse in a in a in a location, the local wages for other warehouse jobs, not at Amazon, just other jobs in the same sector, fall by an average of three percent, but in some locations as much as thirty percent. And so, like you know, Amazon, whether you work for them or not, if they move into your town, chances are they're still going to fuck you, right? Like, because your mm-hmm. wages are going to drop. And, and and I think this is, again, something that he obviously, because the thing is, right, we have entered a new era of what kind of ideology these companies are manufacturing. They're no longer saying, the big ones are no longer saying we're disruptive innovators. The big ones now are saying we are socially essential, right? Because they now have to work with not just, they don't just have to get investors, they have to work with governments that we're going to continue allowing them to operate in the way that they do, right? Amazon's biggest problem now isn't any other company, it's the government. It is the government essentially like forcing or, or possibly organized labor, which is a challenge that they've seen off for now. Um, but it, it is so now they are essentially having to say, we're not ruthless. Uh, we are not disruptive. If anything, we are nurturing and supportive. Yeah, we're eruptive. And, and we've actually, nowhere, we've actually no, reached the point now where the government is not Amazon's problem. Amazon is the government's problem. Right. It's it's mm. like, you know, Am- Amazon is in a position of dominance for the most part because they are running up against, um, you know, not the federal government, but like like city governments, town governments, uh, state governments, which they are able to strong arm, as we saw with the like Hunger Games that they ran a few years ago for their um, HQ, two, And sort of further to that as well, right? If you want to look at what this kind of messaging, what this kind of ideology means, you, all you have to do is look at their Bezos's bizarre discussion of the new safety measures that are in place at work at warehouses. I must say workhouses. Uh, <laughs> we dive deep into safety issues, he says. For example, 40% of work-related injuries at Amazon are related to musculoskeletal disorders, things like sprains or strains that could be caused by repetitive motions. One program we have to reduce these is called Working Well. Now, uh, Jathan and Ed, I know you guys know what this is, but Milo and Alice and Nate don't necessarily know what this is. So I'm, I'm going to do a little like mini startup game where, Alice, what do you think this is? It's the little shot collar thing. No, if anything, it's more, dy- more dystopian. Nate. Is it the thing with the cages where like the robot is like you have to you have to live in the cage with the robot underneath you while you work at Amazon? Uh, I'll give you a hint. It's the cage lives in you, Milo. <laughs> oh no, they're making they're making all their workers into RoboCop. Effectively, yes. Uh, where what they're doing is they are now have the new staffing schedules under this working well program that rotate employees among jobs to use different muscle tendon groups to decrease repetitive motion means essentially they are doing like work crossfit yeah Yeah. employee confusion yeah yeah yeah, the workers get the gains (laughs) they also have this wonderful addition where uh you get a wellness coach also Uh mindfulness because the pro if you're stressed and injured from working at amazon the problem is you're not working at amazon right 
That's right. right. They're gonna, you're going to achieve enlightenment while you're packing those boxes. You have to kill the yeah. You have to kill the worker rights you know shell in your head before I've you heard, can work. I've heard Ed yeah. describe this as like you show up to work and Bezos tells you if it's leg day or shoulder day or, or like <laughs> 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 what it actually is is we we were unable to fully replace labor with capital to fully automate all of the tasks of the warehouse. So what we have done is we have. In, we have put a mind, we have basically robotized the workers so that mm-hmm. there are fewer like uh, wear and tear on them essentially as capital. Yeah. It is as yeah. so that all of your joints fell at once instead of one joint failing and then you can't work there anymore. They push you to the mm-hmm. limit until your whole body collapses and then they yeah. just pull someone else rotation. And, <laughs> and there's an interesting component here in which, you know, Amazon has really good granular data on what will push people to leave and what sort of churn rate it can expect from certain types of work. I'm curious, but I don't think we'll ever know, but I'm curious, you know, how they will use these calculations to maintain those same rates, because those rates are also key to preventing labor organizing, Mm. right? We talked on our show about this report that a researcher did a sort of ethnography in in the warehouse and how, you know, the churn rate prevents workers from consolidating and holding certain types of knowledge that other places, workplaces might have that would lead to labor activism or at least sustained building, uh, sustained mot- momentum that builds up eventually into like a campaign that the company has to respond to. And in some, in some Amazon workplaces that has emerged and then they just shut them down, right? But there's some, I'm, I'm curious if like it will end up being used as like an even grander anti-labor tool by them. And again, I think this goes back to what we're talking about, which is its, its size, both in breadth and depth, its ability to sort of penetrate into the lives of everyone around it, its ability to sort of just through by dint of its own gravitational pull, uh, change and solidify the nature of places that it goes into and so on. It is it is fundamentally a question again not just of size. There's no, there's no Matt Stoller on this podcast, <laughs> but a question of power, right? It is it is a it 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 is the the allowance of power and what capital does when it has the most power it's ever had. Um, so I, I want to conclude uh, this this section. Thank you everyone for bearing with me as we go a little long today, uh, which is the last. The last segment, which I've tentatively titled uh, Amazon is a Millennial with Generalized Anxiety Disorder. <laughs> um, Bezos writes, In what ways does the world pull at you in an attempt to make you normal? How much work does it take to maintain your distinctiveness, to keep alive the thing or things that make you special? I know, I, I, I'm gonna, I know a happily married couple who have a running joke in their relationship. Not infrequently, the husband looks at the wife with faux distress and says to her, Can't you just be normal? They both smile and laugh. And of uh-huh, course, the deep uh-huh, truth is that her uh-huh. distinctiveness is something he loves about her. But at the same time, it is also true that things would be easier and take less energy if we were a little more normal. He does not know a single married couple that has a shared <laughs> joke between them. The only married couples that Jeff Bezos knows are ones that have like already found a new little St. James to go to. Smash. I love that. 
his he ended it with like, "Are you high right now? Do you ever get nervous?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> smash cut to that wife, and she's just in full blackface. That was what the right. conversation was about. Yeah, <laughs> why won't you? It's, it's it's one of those like fake movies from Seinfeld, like sack lunch. It's like why won't you be normal? Um, this phenomenon, he says, happens at all scale levels. Democracies are not normal. Tyranny is the historical norm. <laughs> Jesus. Ah. Oh, geez. <laughs> and, and, mm. and just wait till we get to the next paragraph. Like the logic, like th- this is some real galaxy brain shit. Like, I, like we can't even imagine uh, the levels that Bezos's brain is operating on to make these logical jumps from like, I know a fake <laughs> happily married couple. Also, democracy is not normal. Tyranny is normal. <laughs> No way. Just put that out there. Yeah. Just put that out you there. You know when you turn to your wife and you say, "Now is the reign of blood." <laughs> <laughs> you know when you turn to your wife and you're like, um, "Honey, I've noticed that you're using a lot of the same musculoskeletal groups recently. Have you considered lifting with your back?" Yeah, me and my wife do different positions a few times a week. Um, you know. says, if, if we stop doing all the hard work that is needed to maintain our distinctiveness in that regard, with regard to democracy, are you concerned would, about wearing out your wife's pussy? We would quickly come into equilibrium with tyranny. Um, again, like uh, it's uh, as valuable as it is to have an insight into the mind of Jeff Bezos. This idea of like, yes, well, you know, obviously the natural state of humanity is the um, vicious domination of many by like by the. Right. Obviously, I would be the god emperor of this planet yeah. if not for all you stupid fucks. But <laughs> we were, we I mean, it really that. does show that, like, you know. Bezos is reading his hubs and he th- conceives of uh, Amazon as the Leviathan, right? Like, like pre pre prime life is nasty, brutish, short, but enter the Leviathan of Amazon. Yeah, the Leviathan of Amazon making life livable for produce for uh, its workers and its cons- its customers. Making life livable for people who are in tertiary industries connected to them. Like, leta say Bezos. Yeah, that's the thing. Bezos watched the film 300 and he's like, I want to get some nipple rings and be carried around on a huge chair by guys. <laughs> he's secretly bankrolling Zack Snyder. I know right. it. So we all know that distinctiveness uh, is valuable. We are all taught to be yourself. What I'm asking you to do is embrace and be realistic with how much energy it takes to maintain that distinctiveness, unless you feel like using a different musculoskeletal group that we have told you to use today, in which case, do not maintain your distinctiveness. <laughs> um, the world wants you to be typical in a thousand ways. It pulls at you. Don't let that happen. You have to pay a price for distinctiveness, and it's worth it. The fairy tale version of be yourself is that all the pain stops as soon as you allow your distinctiveness to shine or use a non-recommended muscle group by the Amazon <laughs> Wellness Program. That's right. That vision is misleading. Being yourself is worth it, but don't expect it to be easy or free. It will be $15 an hour unless you're an organized union, in which case it's going to be $7 an hour. You'll have to put energy into it continuously, continuously for your entire 12-hour shift. When the workers of the world look up at me and ask, when will the pain stop? I will look down upon them and say, never. <laughs> when you rotate to the, the next CrossFit workout uh, station. The world will always try to make Amazon more typical. I love that. The world uh, will yeah. always try to make Amazon more typical. Yeah, by having us not like yeah. install brick bio chips into our employees' employees. Manic Pixie Amazon. Which yeah. if we if we remember what he said a paragraph earlier where he was like tyranny is the historical norm what he's saying is the world will always try to make amazon more tyrannical but under my reign it will never be a tyranny (laughs) that's right uh to all of you be kind be original create more than you consume and never 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 let the universe smooth you into your surroundings (laughs) 
Well, uh, Jeff Bezos, I wish you all the best with your trip out with your ill-advised Blue Origin space program and that maybe you guys, you and Elon Musk, can go to Mars and try to not let the universe smooth you down there. How about that? I think it would be it would be it would be a, you know, a fun little quirk of human history if just like the two richest people we have disappeared in space. You know, that'd be mm. nice. <laughs> nice two richest people you have over there. Be a shame if they disappeared into space. Right. Into the vastness of the universe. It's slightly bigger than Amazon. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, I've noticed we've been we've been running super long. Uh, so if Amazon is constantly expanding, what is it expanding into? That's right. Yeah. Uh, local local stores. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I told you, the competition. I listed them. Yeah, oh, shit. Fuck. Um, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. us. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, I just want to say, uh, number one, uh, Ed and Jathan, thank you very much for coming and hanging out with us today. Oh, anytime. Of course. Thank you for having us. Yes. Uh, it is mm-hmm. always a delight to talk to you. And as usual, prime time. I, I am here. yet again banging my drum <laughs> that says, listen to this machine kills. Um, mm, a so, competitor of Amazon Web Services. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With your help, we can kill them. That's right. Uh, mm. Corporately, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, in Minecraft. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, which is so, also owned by Amazon. So, yeah. uh, definitely, if you want to stick it to uh, stick it to Amazon Web Services, uh, and go listen to their competitor. This machine kills. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's good. That's going to be our promo now. We are an AWS competitor. Help a local business <laughs> survive. That's right. Uh, that and right. also to all of you out there in podcast land, thank you so much for listening. Yeah. To so- all those listening to this in the Trash Future distribution warehouse where it's piped in, uh, remember to rotate those musculoskeletal groups. Mm-hmm, that's right. Uh so, thank you for listening. Don't forget, $5 a month, you get a second episode every week. It is pretty cool. The bonus one. The bonus. That's right. So, do check that out. Yeah. Also, I have a show at the end of the month in London on the 30th of May. I'm doing a rerun of my uh, 2019 Edinburgh show. And you might think, but hey, I live in the US or Australia or one of those countries. How can I come to a comedy event in London? It will be broadcast online. Mm-hmm. Uh, on uh, Amazon Web Services. Yeah. <laughs> it will be broadcast I'll probably via <laughs> Amazon Web Services. There will be a link in the description. So are you guys going to uh, move on to your Twitch stream now? Not a competitor of Amazon, uh, a wholly owned subsidiary (laughs) of Amazon. (laughs) That is going to be in about seven hours. Mm, Uh, We are going to be, uh, well, from the time you're listening to this, it will be in a few days. Hmm. Uh, so that's fun. Anyway, uh, that's that's enough uh, back matter for now. Um, Mm. So congratulations to the Labor Party once again on eating shit. Yeah. Uh, you deserve it. That's uh, right. And uh, we will see everyone uh, out here in the bonus episode in a couple of days. Bye. 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 Bye.